You're listening to That'll Preach. We're glad to have you guys listening in on this show. Uh, we have an interview lined up today with uh, a really great guest, a personal friend of mine, and someone I've taken classes from and enjoyed sitting under his teaching. We have uh, Professor Mike Glodo. He's the Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. And he's here to talk to us about a book he just uh, wrote. Well, actually, he wrote it a while ago, but now it is actually going to be in stores. You can buy it online. You can get it on Kindle. Uh, it is a book called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel in the Aaronic Blessing. And that's uh, a really interesting book, and he's going to talk a little bit about the themes of that book. But first, Mike, it's good to see you. Welcome onto the podcast. Well, uh, thank you so much, Brian. It's really wonderful to not just be with you, but to know you're doing this and and to see the fruit of all your preparation. And now, you know, now for several years on the staff at Four Oaks, serving as you have. Uh, Four Oaks is just such a great lab, factory, greenhouse, whatever you want to call it, for uh, producing great uh, young guys to serve the church. And and it's uh, it's an honor to be your guest. I appreciate that. I mean, even before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about movies, which is something that we would do in between uh, during the breaks, during classes. And I always enjoyed those. I'd come up with a with a pressing theological question and you would just ignore it and talk about, you know, (laughs) you know, Martin Scorsese movie or something like that. But I I always enjoyed that. And uh, you were always such a great host to all of us uh, hybrid students who'd come in just for the week. That was a, it was a great experience having you around, but uh, it's great to talk to you again. Tell us a little bit about this book, uh, The Ironic Blessing, The Lord Bless You and Keep You. Uh, what inspired you to write a book on this particular blessing, which a lot of people have heard, uh, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you from number six, 24 to 25. Um, what inspired you to write a whole book? on basically this this passage this blessing. Well, it's interesting how you 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 lead that into that question. It's quite possible this is the most frequently heard quoted Bible verse for many Christians because it's one of uh, a short list of very frequently used benedictions from the Bible uh Protestant well, Christian worship services uh, have cl- have historically ended with a benediction and um Interestingly, number six was not used until the Protestant Reformation, uh, probably because of Luther's uh, influence, his Christological reading of the Old Testament. But but this is such a frequently heard Bible passage. And one thing that made me interested, Brian, was I could not find any monograph or, or anything uh, written for the church on this. That was one thing, <clears throat> but what? Um, uh, the, honestly, one thing that catalyzed me during during um, COVID, the quarantine in the fall of 2020, uh, I always try to uh, read. Uh, I always try to have fiction or poetry or some current affairs or something. I, I try to read stuff that I don't have to read for my teaching or my my preaching and teaching in the church. And so I picked up uh, after a long time uh, ago, having read this book, it was C.S. Lewis's uh, Till We Have Faces. 
And uh, so I started reading Till We Have Faces for some random reason. I don't know. Um, and if you know the plot of Till We Have Faces, it's about a queen who's challenging the gods. And she happens to have worn a mask over her face her whole life since she was a little girl. And so I'm reading this book about the power of the of the veil. She wore a veil. I'm reading this book about the power of the veil. And she talks about how it gave her a mystique. And so long after she wore it to hide her ugliness, she wore it as a basically a, a way of having power and, and mystique. So that, that was one little thing. And then I was noticing during pandemic how people were just losing their minds over masks. Uh, either having to wear a mask or refusing to wear a mask. Uh, I even uh, ran across an article in uh, the Claremont um, Review, is it, uh, about this whole thing uh, and how some people had decided even when pandemic was over, they they thought they would just continue wearing masks uh, because it gave them a sense of anonymity or there's various interesting reasons so the two things in common with, with both of those threads were there there there's something enormously important about human faces right and somewhere in there too i heard an interview with a portrait artist who said you know they we say the eyes are the window to the soul but really it's the face it's the muscles of the face that reveal the person. You know, we, we might see emotions in the eyes, but it's the rest of the face that interpret the eyes. And I thought, wow, faces are really important to people. And then it just, you know, clicked like this. There's a there's this long running biblical motif about God's face and our faces, um, you know, uh, in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve hide their faces from God. Uh, you know, uh, Jacob wrestles with God and he names that place face of God. And and um, uh, and, and the Psalms, uh, you know, when somebody is under duress, they, they talk about God hiding his face from them. And and uh, Psalm 27, you, you have said, seek my face and your face do I seek. And so it just clicked with me and that there's this big, big biblical motif about the human face and God's face interacting with one another. Of course, we know God doesn't have a body, but this is uh, there's no such thing as just a biblical metaphor, especially when it's applied to God or the church or something really important. So, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm alert to this motif, and my background is a biblical theologian. I taught Old Testament for 20 years, and I taught New Testament for 10 of those years. And so I'm paying attention to the Bible, even though now I teach mostly preaching and pastoral ministry. So I see this great big biblical theme, and of course, the end of the Bible story is we see God just as he is. We see God face to face, and we're like him, you know, we're transformed into his likeness. And and at the center of all that is this this poignant, this this poetic blessing from God that his face shines on us. So so several roads converged. Um 
the lack of any real treatment on this for at least for most Christians and those other things. And so I thought maybe there's something here. And the more I began to talk about it and teach the little lessons on it and things, I, I could see that it, it was resonating with people. So that's kind of the story of the book's origin. Um, it's an unusual shape of a book because it's a biblical theology that leads into anthropology, meaning biblical anthropology, um, and ultimately ends with pastoral practice and issues of worship. But uh, we we can talk more about the structure, but uh, it's hard to, there aren't a lot of books that actually go through the process of doing biblical theology and arrive at church ministry. Uh, but that's kind of what I've done my whole teaching ministry is I try to practice biblical theology so that it leads to the 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 use of the Bible, the relevance of the Bible, the role of the Bible in the church. So um, uh, we could talk more about the structure in a minute and the contents of the book. But that's uh, if I had to put the book in just a like an elevator speech. Um, I would say God made us with faces so his face could shine on ours. That's that's kind of the essence of the book. You use the word benediction or and, and that's used a lot or yeah. the idea of a blessing. What what is <clears throat> a blessing? What what does it mean for God to bless us? Yeah. Um well benediction is a good saying or a good word. Um, it's different than a eulogy. Uh, a eulogy is a word uh, um, that blessed, that uh, that sort of praises somebody, but a benediction is actually the conferral of the blessing. Um, and um, it achieves the thing that it says. And so... Um, if you look at the bigger picture of the Bible, how does God bless? Uh, it's the way he does most things. We God speaks, and that makes things true. He spoke creation into being. Everything was created by the word of his power, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Jesus told Lazarus to come out, and that word that Jesus spoke was what made Lazarus come out. So, so the, uh, the benediction is a word of blessing from God to his people that is not just a wish. It's certainly not a prayer because it's God talking to his people, but it's actually <clears throat> a, a word from God that produces an outcome. Uh, and in this case, uh, shalom is the, you know, the end, end of the ironic blessing uh make his countenance upon lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and so it's different i know probably a lot of your listeners may think of it as a prayer but it's not a prayer a prayer is when we talk to god a benediction is when god speaks to us and so um i make the point in the book too that because it's not a prayer we don't receive it with our heads bowed but rather I, here's an analogy i use if, if you have a, 
a young child and they've done something naughty and they feel bad about it and they come up to you and you're talking to them about it and and you can see they really feel bad or you know they're repentant about it but and their little bottom lip is trembling and you know you you don't let them keep their head bowed you you might put your hand under their chin and just lift their face so they can look in your face and see that you're smiling, that your 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 facial expression said it's okay. I forgive you. Let's try to do better, but it's okay. Um, and so I, I try to encourage, and especially in one of the later chapters, people to lift their faces because God is this word from God is says God's face is smiling at you. You should smile back. You should smile back, or at least at least uh, lift up your faces. So. Um, uh, and, and as I said, there are you know there are other benedictions in the Bible uh, that um, perhaps people will be familiar with, but th- this is the big one, right? This is the one that has the kind of the most uh, poignant kind of uh, 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 impact. Let me just read out the benediction just for our listeners. Yeah, they're, that's they're a good idea. Blessing. It says, uh, the, "The Lord." This is in Numbers six. Starting in verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then he says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. and I will bless them. So in the beginning, it says that the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, so. If that if that those words, I guess they they do something to us. What what are they? What are we to take from that? What does it mean for them to bless us and to keep us? Maybe we can go through. Each yeah, line. yeah. Um, there's a chapter called the content of the blessing, um, which follows the chapter on the context of the blessing. But uh, in the chapter on the content of the blessing. I uh, I go through the structure of it. <clears throat> the um, there's a progression in terms of the number of letters in the Hebrew, the number of words in the Hebrew um, uh, that builds toward the climax. But in each of the lines, there's three lines, and um, the first part of the line actually produces the outcome of the second part of the line. For example, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, the Lord's blessing uh, means that he will, and the, the word keep means something like guard or watch over or protect. So God's covering of blessing is his shield of protection to us. He'll watch out for us. <clears throat> the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Well, when somebody looks at you with a, amiable or friendly disposition uh, that's a sign of a favor <clears throat> so when God's face shines upon his people it's a way of um, expressing how his grace is upon his people um, and then the last line the Lord lift up his countenance upon you uh, the the fact that the Lord uh, has lifted up his face on his people means that his people have peace or shalom. And of course, that's a big biblical idea. Shalom 
is the not just um, the absence of hostilities, but it's the fullness of blessedness uh, known from uh, not just living in the presence of God, but having communion with God because God is himself uh, infinite, infinitely blessed in himself. Um, and then the last, the, the, the narrative frame, so there's a narrative frame that begins it, speak to Aaron and his sons. And then there's a narrative frame that ends it that says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So the end result is those upon whom this blessing has been pronounced are uh, bare about therefore the name of God. They carry the name of God upon themselves, which means they're the Lord's, uh, the, that, the, that the Lord has a, a vested interest in us. We belong to him. Uh, which is really the effect of baptism, right? We're when we're baptized into Christ, we 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 now have the name of God on us. So that's that's kind of a a real rough approximation of what the words themselves are 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 saying. So you said that this is not just wishing. It's mm-hmm. not saying this would be a nice thing to happen, but there's this effectual kind of thing. Now Right. You can imagine you you hear this at the end of church. Someone gives this benediction, or you're in Israel and you're hearing this, and you're thinking, "Okay, great, uh, peace, right? The yeah. fullness of blessing." And then they're like, "What happened? Did I, I, I still I'm still in debt. You know, my family's still a wreck. I'm still sick. You know, yeah. life is still hard. What what got affected onto me? You know, I don't feel peace. I still feel anxious about all these things. I, I still feel yeah. distant. Or, you know, how, do, you, how do we understand that? That's really um, where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Um, you mentioned debt. So if I uh, if I uh, go to the I don't know the bank and pay off my car loan, they might they might take my loan and stamp it. And it said paid on it, or if I pay a bill, that might get stamped being paid now. <clears throat> how I feel about what I owe or don't owe is secondary to what the stamp on the document says. Hmm. And I guess to use that as an analogy, um, our experience does not indicate where we stand with God. What determines where we stand with God is what God says. Um, and so, um, it, this is why, uh, we don't, while it's nice to have assurance of our salvation, uh, one, one of the worst places to look for assurance is in how we're doing, uh, because our righteousness is not in us. Our righteousness is at the right hand of God. And so a lot of the Christian life is believing what God has said uh, in the absence of or even contrary to what we're experiencing. Um, Romans 8 is a great place to reflect on this. You know, uh, what shall what, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ? Uh uh well, first of all, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So God has given up any, or actually God has paid or satisfied any debt or obligation uh, because of our sin. But then because of that, um, we've been given the spirit, 
uh, that cries, Abba, Father, within us. And, and because of what God has said, nothing shall separate us from his love. Famine, peril, persecution, hardship, sword, no, none of these things um, shall separate, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. And so <clears throat> if God says he is smiling at us, if God's face shines on us, uh, then uh, that's the final word, uh, regardless of, I mean, the psalmist says, you know, if the, the Lord is for me, what can man do to me? You know, the Christian can say, world, do your worst, uh, but I am the Lord's. Uh, I belong to the Lord. Uh, that's my only comfort in life and in the death, as the Heidelberg Catechism says. And uh, and so uh, as Christians, we believe God's word uh, by faith. Uh, in spite of what our experience is, is telling us, uh, knowing that uh, this is, you know, w- where we live and what what our state is right now is not the final word. Um, I don't know if that's along the lines of, of what you're, you know, you're thinking or at when you ask, but that's that's what comes to my mind. That's a great example about what, you know, the statement says about your debt is objective to it's it's independent upon your experience of it. I mean, it is saying these are things the Lord does. He does, in fact, bless you. He does make his face shine upon you. He does lift up his countenance upon you. And if those things are true, then you do have his peace. He is gracious to you, you know, whether whether you think that or not. I, I guess I was just thinking about being blessed. I think instinctively we think about, okay, blessed means my kids are Christians. I'm yeah. healthy. You know, all yeah. these types of things. And I understand, I guess, I guess the ultimate blessing is, is God, but I, I've always felt that where I'm like, yeah, but I mean, you know, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance where you're like, I don't feel exactly like the blessings are raining down on me. So how does this help somebody maybe going through a difficult trial? You know, what, what does the Mm -hmm. ironic blessing do? I don't know. It might help to point out that this word is spoken over Israel in the wilderness. (laughs) True. That's true. Right. Um, And, uh, while they didn't have the promised land, they had the Lord with them. Uh, and uh, and so the, the incarnation testifies that uh, God is really um, among us. Um, and so um, um, that doesn't mean the end of trials. Um, and uh, it, it does mean that... Uh, whatever trials we face that 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 um again I, I look to Romans 5 you know we we have peace with God because we're justified by faith um and uh, having been justified by faith we have peace with God and therefore we we re, we rejoice or we boast in our tribulations because uh, there's this chain reaction where tribulation actually leads to hope and so um uh, we know that uh, suffering is not only a reality of this present life. We also know suffering is a mark of discipleship, and um, and so if you want to be a Christian, it's the it's not the path to an easy life, <laughs> uh, but it is the it is entrusting yourselves to the God of Providence who rules over everything, 
uh, who who protects and provides for his people according to his promises and uh, and 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 we and and therefore we are called to walk by faith faith in what god has said rather than by sight um so uh, obviously, that's a very different message than the prosperity gospel kind of approach, or even um, what's called moralistic therapeutic deism, which is kind of the operative attitude of many professing Christians that believing in God is something you need to make your day go better. Sure. Um, sure. Um, um, and if you're not if that's what you're after, then discipleship is uh, not a wise choice. Well, but God raised Jesus from the dead, the right. undeniable, you know, reality that can't, you know, that that requires, as Flannery O'Connor wrote, uh, requires us to throw everything away and follow him. It's a good point. It also reminds me of the Beatitudes when Jesus uses the idea of being blessed to situations that, you know, don't don't really seem too blessed. Yeah, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who right. hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who, uh, you know, are are, um, are um, persecuted um, for my sake, uh, because they have these consummation or these ultimate promises. Uh, and, and and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they shall see God. Hmm. Um, which is what the ironic blessing is promising in, 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 uh, in, a, in shadows or, or in, 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 uh, uh, in, in, in uh, token and, and as well as, um, uh, um, how would you say it to your, to your listeners? We have, we, we see in part, we don't see as we will when they, when they see. Well, that reminds me about what you were talking about, how you structured the book. You, you talked about you, you start with biblical theology. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what does that mean? What what goes? Why? Is, well, what is the biblical theological kind of? Approach yeah, to this? Uh, biblical theology looks at what the Bible teaches about particular themes, and also what it teaches in the terms of the big picture, but pays attention to how the story unfolds as well. Uh, where systematic theology looks at the whole teaching of the Bible kind of all at once, biblical theology looks at how the biblical story unfolds over time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the quick survey, Brian, is God made uh, us, God made people in his image. And uh, in the book, I go into how that includes the three-dimensional nature of our bodies. Our, body, our bodies are part of that image. Uh, we're not just the, our bodies aren't just um, uh, first stages of the rocket that get us, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, orbit. And then uh, we're freed from our bodies uh, like, you know, Platonic philosophy, you know, says, the, you know, the liberating our bodies from our souls. No, God, God made us bodies and souls. <clears throat> and of course, in the in original sin. We now are, are ashamed before God. We hide from God. And the story of the Bible, you can say in terms of this theme, is the, the story of the Bible is God restoring us to a face-to-face -face relationship to him. And so you can look at episodes in, like I mentioned, 
uh, 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 Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 34. Uh, it was in the dark. He didn't see God in the full light of day. But when it was all said and done, after he'd wrestled with God, he said, I've seen the face of God and lived. And and um, and Moses speaks to God face to face. No one spoke to God like Moses did. But but even as, Mo- as Moses spoke to God face to face, he did it in the cloud, the cloud in the tabernacle. And. Uh, and and so there's still this promise or this prospect have being held out there of how how will we see God? Well, John's Gospel answers that uh, uh, he has come from the Father, the 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 the, the only begotten Son. Uh, Jesus said, "Who has seen? Whoever seen me has seen the Father." Um, and uh, and then. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 describes how in we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so you have this unfolding of what the ironic blessing promises. You just have it unfolding over time so it goes from less to more. And ultimately, of course, the, the, um, the end of the biblical story is we see him and we'll be like him. And so that's kind of the biblical theology kind of flow or move through this through the theme. But then I step aside and I do I do <clears throat> there's two chapters. One, uh, how this changes how we look at ourselves. That's right. That's that's one thing the gospel does. That's in fact, that's the one thing we probably think of first. <clears throat> I'm no longer ashamed before God, uh, Jude 24, 25. We're able to stand in his presence blameless with great joy <clears throat> so we no longer have to hide our faces as adam and eve did but we can look upon god and his holiness uh through his word um so knowing god's face shines on us and that's why it's called the promise of the gospel in the ironic blessing because the ironic blessing promises what the gospel delivers ultimately <clears throat> the, the the but there's another chapter Brian which says it changes how we look at others hmm. uh, that the ironic blessing and as it uh is a word is a gospel word also should change how we look at other people um and this is based on the fact that um every human being is made in God's image and so when we look at other people, we're not just looking at created creatures, but we're looking at created creatures who themselves are mirrors of God's image. Um, so, for example, in Matthew 24, you know, Jesus said, you know, you fed me, you clothed me, you visited me and so forth. And he said, when did we do that? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, uh, my brothers, you did it to me. And 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 the operative verb in there is see, when did we see you? And so what Jesus is saying, when you saw the naked, the prisoner, the sick, the hungry, so when you saw them, you saw Christ, the king. And uh, it's a similar thing that James picks up on. 
Uh, I think it's in James chapter three. We we curse, we bless God with our mouths, but we curse man who's made in His image. And so, the the, re, the way in which the ironic blessing should should help us look at others is that we realize we're when we look upon another person's face, we're looking at an image bearer of God, and that should change how we. Um, how we look at other people. And I give, there are a lot of stories in the book, so don't don't worry. The book's a lot more interesting than I sound right now. Um, but um, no, I give a lot stuff. of examples <laughs> of stories of, of um, times of my encounters with people or other people's encounters. Um, but we know how it is, right? If somebody's a little disfigured or if they're unclean or if we know they're going to ask us for something, <laughs> You know, what what do we do at a stoplight when the person comes walking down the road with their little sign? Well, we don't make eye contact. Right. And, and I'm not saying we should always shell out cash to, you know, people at intersections, but I'm saying there's this tendency to look away. But when we realize a human being is an image bearer of God, um, then when we look away, we're looking away from a reflection of God's image talk about in your just life as a pastor i mean you've been pastoring you've been involved in ministry for a long time and you've ministered to people you've also ministered to pastors um how has this helped you in you know shaping young pastors what what, what can a young pastor learn from this benediction or what do you think this uh, blessing does to help a pastor understand his own life his own life before god and and what kind of comfort it brings there's a on a on a very human level there's a story uh in the book um and i won't take the time to read it i think i i I told it much I, i told it much better in the book than i'll say it right now but when i was first a pastor a young assistant pastor my senior pastor told me to go and see um, a, a Mrs. Finley, um, and he warned me. Now she's got cancer of the sinal cavities, and so uh, you know she's had a lot of surgery. In fact, you need to let her know you're coming because she'll put a prosthetic over her face to hide what is basically a gaping hole in her in her sinuses. And so, you know, I'm at that stage of uh, fresh out of seminary. I just want to sit in coffee shops and work on my sermons and take pictures of my fountain pen with my leather Bible. And this is all pre-Facebook. But if I had Facebook, that's what I would be doing, right? Um, Telling people that I'm, you know, a hot shot preparing a sermon kind of stuff. And so the last thing on my list of priorities was to sit and talk to a, a dying woman who was severely disfigured by her disease. And so I kind of procrastinated for a while. And uh, finally, I, 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 he kept after me like, you need to go see her. So I did. And it was just, it was almost like, um, almost like a beatific vision mm-hmm. in a sense. Uh, the first time I went to see her, she put her, prosthetic on um but she's bright-eyed full of the full of the love of god 
she was more interested in encouraging me and learning about me than than having me simply sit there and commiserate with her because she was, you know, dying. And so the next time I went to see her, she didn't put on her prosthetic. Wow. And, uh, you know, um, we have a hard time looking at really disfigured people. I mean, it makes us uncomfortable. Who is it our mortality? Is it the abnormality? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons we don't want to look at, at, at abnormality and suffering. But I remember she opened the door and there she was without her face covering. And, but it was the same, it was the same bright eyed, joyful, hopeful woman and so it was just a lesson to me um first of all not to think i'm i'm the one blessing somebody else because simply they have some kind of chronic need Um, but it was also um i guess a way of a very striking way of realizing the dignity and the beauty of even somebody who suffered greatly the the ravages of this world, uh, so it 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 was just another in a probably many good lessons in my life about uh, not just trying to be with the pretty people and the pleasing people and the people who made me feel uh, prettier and better and uh, but to, but to, uh, but that being around people with with deep needs who could had the capacity to bless me beyond what I could do for them. So that was one. And then um, in why terms she, of, uh, that, go ahead. Why did she uh, take off her mask at that, that, that next time? Well, she normally didn't wear it. Um, oh. She would only put it on when somebody came to visit. And I don't know. I didn't ask her. Yeah. But, per, but looking back, I thought, Maybe she's just trying to let me see her. Hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's another story in the book. Um, when my father-in-law had a s- severe stroke, uh, it's, uh, it's 2020. It's the fall of 2020, so it's almost four years ago. And he was 89 years old, a very vigorous farmer. Um uh uh wasn't a big man but he uh, he had these hands that you know he didn't need wrenches for most most time. um but he had had a stroke and he was not going to recover and so the decision was made to just provide him hospice care and um my wife her dad my wife uh, kind of led the way, and we we began keeping watch. Um, you know, my my children, my my brother and brothers in law, and so forth. You know, he, he, he somebody was with him all the time, waiting by his bedside. He was not cognizant of anything that we could see, um, and his face was pretty drawn from um, from the stroke. And but we would sit by his bed. We would talk to him. We would read scripture. We would sing hymns to him. And I just remember when I was with him alone, and I'm just sitting there, and I realized I wasn't looking at him at his face. 
uh, I, I, I was kind of looking at his hands and of course I, I, I knew his hands, but I realized I was looking away from his face, hmm. probably partly out of respect for him, but probably I'm sure to a great deal de- degree because it made me uncomfortable. But I realized, no, I, he is as much in the image of God now as he was a week ago. And I can dignify him and I can honor God in whose image he still is by looking him in the face as uncomfortable it was. So uh, those are moments that um, there's one early in my ministry and there's one not too long ago where I think thinking of people as God's image bearers really um, made a difference in how I was able to give dignity and respect uh, to them. Um, in terms of pastoral practice, I have I, I there I have some 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 instructions, some guidance for pastors. Um, I, I I make my students, and you went. Th- I think if you had that class with me, uh, you had to do it to memorize benedictions. You might have had. Dr. Kirk, I don't know, but um, but I make students memorize five benedictions. Yeah, Kirk's class uh, is way easier than that. So, I, yeah. <laughs> so the reason I make them because I had to memorize five benedictions when I was a seminary student. The reason is yeah. when you stand in front of God's people and tell them God's face is shining on them, you don't want to do what I call a subway writer benediction. And that's where, like, you got one hand in the air, but in the other hand, you're looking at your Bible, or worse yet, you know, somebody's looking at their phone. I mean, the, the biblical benedictions are short. If you can't memorize a benediction, you know, you probably uh, need to go see a neurologist. Oh, Mike, but, Mike, uh, I, de- I, I definitely miss this class. Anyone who's listening knows uh, I gave a benediction. I gave the ironic benediction, and I, I went up, and I was like, going to end the service with it. This was when we were live streaming and I was like, I forgot to write it down. Usually I write down the benediction. Yeah. I'd forgotten. I'm like, I got this number six. I know it. I get up there, botch the thing. I ended oh, up saying, no. I ended up me- messing up the words. So I ended up uh, saying an, uh, an expletive in front of everybody, not out of frustration, but that because I messed up the words and oh. just the way that they perfectly hit. And that was forever captured on live stream. And so okay. I, I had no well, idea that I did it at the moment. So uh, if you I, want, I, uh, I did not provide, memorize it. If you won't provide me the date and the, the, the IRL. Yeah. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. I, I, I know, uh, I know somebody can give it to me, but, um, and, and this is a, uh, you know, inside baseball folks, if you're listening to this, uh, we pastors yeah, are quite capable of forgetting the Lord's prayer or the Apostles Creed or John three sixteen mixing them all together in some <laughs> right, weird concoction right in the middle of it right in fact I I used to want I used to one of in in the Bible I used to use the Lord's Prayer was pasted inside the front cover and the <laughs> Apostles Creed was in the back because I you know it's like the last thing you want to do is forget that right I, I um, bet Moses and Aaron had the same thing maybe they chiseled it into a little rock or something you know, carried maybe, around with them maybe Aaron had a tat on his forearm yeah I don't yeah. Know. Exactly. The back of his hand. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But if you're going to stand up in front of God's people and speak God's word, and right. it's no, it's no less than a sermon. When you know, in the preached word of God, the voice of Christ speaks, and in the benediction, 
the voice of Christ, the great high priest, is speaking a word of blessing over his people. So you want to look people in the eye, raise your hands, and I always tell the people, lift up your faces to receive the blessing of God. I I, I know a lot of people are on a lot of people are trained to think of it as a prayer. It's not a prayer. So I don't like wait until everybody's looking up. I just say it and let those who, you know, um want to follow instructions do that. But in pastoral practice, this is this is a word from God, and God's word is powerful. And especially because I use biblical benedictions. I don't write benedictions. Some pastors write their own benedictions, but I mean, there's like a good five or six just tried and true benedictions in the Bible. So these are words God has spoken that I'm simply speaking on his behalf. So I raise my hands. I invite people to lift their eyes to receive God's blessing. And I speak that word. And so just memorizing the benediction is a great help to do that. Um, and then there's a whole appendix in the book that uh, talks about the whole worship service um, and how they all relate to the the word of blessing. Uh, even, I don't know what you do at Four Oaks, but the, but my church where I attend is a, an active member here, uh, St. Paul's Presbyterian Church here in Orlando. After the benediction, uh, God's people respond with a doxology. You know, doxology blesses God, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you able to stand in his presence, blameless with great joy. That's a word of blessing from the people to God. And then the final word is um, go and serve the risen Lord. So the, 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 the benediction is not necessarily the final word, but it is, it is the consummate word, because if God has blessed you, then we bless God in praise, and then we go out and serve him in the world. So uh, there's a chapter on how just a deeper understanding of the role of the benediction, and particularly this benediction, can inform our worship and even our service uh, in the world. I think that's an important thing to think about, the minister being you know, the instrument through which God speaks. Sometimes we think about it in a mystical thing, like a guy shows up, I've got a word from God and he just says, <clears throat> you know, our, you know, our, our, uh, this ministry is going to be a success or yeah. we're have a time of blessing. It's a time of harvest, whatever, as opposed to every time the word is proclaimed, that is God speaking. Like sometimes we, we want something special and extra when in reality, God's word never changes. He, it's almost like he doesn't have anything new to say necessarily. He just oh, has the same blessing to keep giving to us. This is so much. I mean, knowing the will of God, I joke around like if you want to fill up a Sunday school class, you know, say I'm going to teach a Sunday school class on knowing God's will. Now, if you want to double that, say knowing God's will through studying the end times. But I mean, that'll draw a crowd, right? Like, um, but there's this difference between the hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the hidden things belong to the Lord, but these things he has given us that we may walk in them, us and our children. And so the revealed will of God is, is, is enough. Um, and the fact that we want the secret will of God probably says we have not adequately comprehended what we already have. I mean, if you if she's not, I'm going to teach a Sunday school class on knowing the will of God, and then you got up and said, uh, 
love justice, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God, people are like, is that all? But I mean, is that not enough? Um, and so um, uh, the sufficiency of the word, I think that's what we're talking about, right? We believe in the authority, the infallibility, the even the inerrancy of the word, but sometimes we're dubious about its sufficiency. And so when God says something, you know, that that should be sufficient for our, our needs. Um, and uh, whether it's preaching the word. Now, I know I know partly why we're reticent, Brian. I know we're partly reticent because we think it sounds Catholic, maybe to say that some person speaks for God. Sure, sure. Um, but it's if it's any of interest historically, the those those first reformers of the Protestant Reformation, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all of those, they believed in the priesthood of all believers, but they also believed in the ministry of the word. They didn't throw they didn't throw out the ministry of the word for the sake of reviving the priesthood of believers and hmm. and I, I have experienced that personally as a christian as a young growing adult christian i remember going to church and hearing expository preaching for the first time and going god's talking to me i wasn't just sitting back you know kind of deciding whether i liked it or not. i said god is talking to me and that's that's what we're talking about when when people hear you preach and the holy spirit is at work convicting them and, and comforting them and it's Jesus' promise that my sheep will hear my voice, and they're your Christ's sheep are hearing their voice through Brian's voice. Hmm. Uh, not because Brian's brilliant and and uh, a narcissistic, you know, uh, dictator, but because Brian studies the Word and prays and 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 comes out of God's storehouse with you know a word for God's people. Well, so listen to Brian, everybody. That's right. And you did teach us in your communications class how to be a narcissistic dictator. I think yes. you said that that was the way to grow your church the fastest. Yeah. At least yeah. that's what my notes say. But, but uh, you know, maybe maybe to, to in conclusion, you know, how, how do you, because everything you said is really helpful. How do you get a church to understand what's happening at the benediction? How do you get them to understand if you start doing the Aaronic blessing to inform them, this is what's happening right now. What are some ways that you found helpful in kind of bringing people along? Assuring them we're not Catholic. This is helpful. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I think there's probably a lot of room for just humble teaching on worship, like what's happening in worship. And I'm an advocate of, you know, probably on a weekly basis, just having a short word about different parts of the worship service um, and what those things are. Um, and so over time, people will start to understand, oh, uh, whether you call it an invocation or not, that the prayer at the beginning that asks God to be present is something that Scripture teaches and that God has promised to honor. So whenever two or three of us gather in Jesus' name, he is in our midst. Okay, so let's pray a prayer asking Jesus to be in our midst. Uh, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So when we have a prayer of confession of sin, you know, it's something that the Bible tells us to do. So so I think part of it, part of the answer is just gentle, clear teaching on why 
our liturgy, and everybody has a liturgy, just there's some that aren't self-conscious, and there's some that are pretty lame, but a good liturgy is one that reflects the contours of Scripture, and, and everybody has a liturgy. So, just gentle, clear, biblical, simple teaching on why we're doing the things we're doing in worship, which would, of course, include uh, the benediction at the end of the service. And... Um, and to the extent you need to qualify things, saying uh, this is, uh, you know, that we only have one priest, and that's, you know, Christ in heaven, and then we're all a kingdom of priests uh, because of that. Uh, so what I do as a minister is not, I'm not being your priest, I'm being simply a servant of God's word, declaring God's word to you, uh, maybe even making the analogy as we have been doing about the sermon and the benediction being just simply speaking God's words on his behalf. Um, so over time and practice and, uh, and, uh, and again, just inviting people to receive God's smile. I mean, there are a lot of ways to say things that are just plain sense, common sense kind of ways. You could even say, uh, let God smile on you by hearing his word of blessing. That's, a little different than saying, lift up your eyes to receive the blessing of the Lord. You say it different ways, and over time, um, people catch on. It's sort of like, I often use this analogy of square dancing. Nobody knows how to square dance, but then you go to a square dance, and in the beginning, the caller is telling you every single thing to do, right? But as you get, as you get kind of get it, as you learn it, then there's less, there's the caller has to say less. Uh, about, and, and, and worship is like, you know, we're the actors, right? We're the performers in worship, not the musicians and not the pastor. So we're the performers. And so over time, as people learn the script of worship, they can play their parts. They can perform for God and giving him praise, uh, without, with, with less overt guidance, uh, because they kind of catch on over time. And a lot of this requires the corporate gathering. I mean, you think about it, you can read the ironic blessing yourself, you know, while you're journaling, and you can get something out of that, but it's meant to be read out loud and it's meant to be read to a congregation. So there's a sense in which you're you're almost not getting it unless you understand it in the framework of 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 the liturgy and the corporate gathering. That's true. Uh I mean, you know, that's another subject for another day. I'm teaching this Sunday on. First Corinthians twelve, the church as the body of Christ. Right. Um, if we find a body part on the side of the road, if you're driving through Tallahassee and you see a body part laying on a sidewalk, you know a crime has been committed. <laughs> but somehow, it's become natural for Christians to think that body parts don't have to be part of a body. But it's you know it's just. Uh, oxymoronic right to be uh, um, to be a christian and not be part of a body but that's a big subject for another day uh the whole notion of what the church's role in the christian life is i i think you know perhaps you know jim davis and mike graham who've written this book on the de-churching of uh of america uh i'm I'm working on some things to help promote the idea of the rechurching of Christians because for a couple of generations now, we basically 
been told that the church is incidental or optional to the Christian life. And that's just that's just crazy talk for for 2000 years. That would have sounded insane to most Christians. It's only been in the last hundred couple of 150 years that anybody's ever thought differently. So go to church. Well, that's the Internet. Be, go to church. It'll be a great uh, episode to do in the future. Let's do that sometime. That'd be fantastic. That'd be yeah. fantastic. Mike, thank you so much for sharing this with us, for talking, for just sharing your insights through your life of ministry. Appreciate you being here. If you guys want to check out his book, it's called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel in the Ironic Blessing. You can get on Amazon, you can get on Kindle, and I make sure you pick that up. And I think it'll be really helpful for you and for your church. And uh, yeah, Mike, thank you so much for- uh, You're for so welcome. There, uh, Each chapter, by the way, has study questions, so it could make a great group study because uh, ultimately it's- how it works its way into our lives that's important, not just knowing this subject. But thank you so much, Brian. It's been great to be with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you share with your friends and you can follow us and get updates on Instagram uh, at That'll Preach Podcast. Appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys listening in and we'll see you guys next week.